Your heart is beating right now. You probably didn't notice, but there it is. Steady, beat after beat after beat. Unannounced, uncelebrated, unsung. That heart beats rhythmically, faithfully giving and sustaining life. And so it is with those ordinary acts of faithfulness in ordinary moments of life. Serving, loving, nurturing, pursuing justice, offering counsel, giving generously, rhythmically, like our heart beat. Moment after moment, day after day, unsung. You know, recently I was speaking down at a conference in Dallas, Texas, and the conference organizers were super kind. They put me up in, you know, in a really nice hotel. And um, it was one of those hotels that has the white bathrobe in it. And I normally don't put it on. I don't really need it. I'm usually in and out. And I don't get into that kind of thing. But I, I saw it and I thought, I'm going to put that bathrobe on. And, and sure enough, when I put it on, folks, um, it felt really good. <laughs> and it didn't feel really good just because... You know, the robe was soft and that sort of thing. It felt really good because once I put the robe on, I just realized that this robe comes with some privileges. <laughs> um, you know, you, you put the robe on and you can leave stuff on the floor in the hotel. You don't have to pick up after yourself. I, I realized that my bed got made for me every day. I was... There were fresh linens that showed up every day. I didn't have to ask for it. And then, like, I could order room service if I wanted to. And I could just make a telephone call. And people would bring food to me in my room. That was just crazy. I, I got the robe, and therefore, I get to be served. Now, th this isn't the robe from the hotel. I would never... Steal, steal the robe. I, I, I got this when I got home because I thought, I'm going to try this at home. So I put the robe on at home and I called my wife, Rachel, and I said, uh, I'd just go ahead and like to order some dinner right over here in the bed. And you can imagine that did not go over <laughs> very well at all. So here's the thing. I find it really interesting that when we look at the life of Jesus, the king of the universe, Jesus didn't use a robe at all. He didn't wear a robe. What Jesus used was a towel. <laughs> I, I want to take you back to a night when Jesus picked up a towel. It was late Thursday evening. It was within 24 hours of Jesus um, being tried and, and, and hung on a cross. He's having the last supper with his 12 disciples and I'm over in Luke chapter 22. We're, we're told that after dinner, the disciples, they got into an argument about who was the greatest, <laughs> who deserved to be served, who deserved privilege. It's kind of encouraging to know that all families bicker at holiday meals, right? And in the past, Jesus probably would have addressed this problem with a, a little sermonette, maybe given a parable, but the time was running short. There's really no time left for a sermon. And so instead of a lecture, instead of a sermon, Jesus simply picks up a towel and he stoops down 
and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And I imagine the room just grows silent as the status-seeking disciples realize that the Son of God is washing their dirty feet. And when it's all over, Jesus said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash each other's feet. Hey, Willow, Jesus has not called us to a life of robe wearing. He's called us to a life of towel bearing. You know, as followers of Christ, this is our calling. We're not robe wearers, we're towel bearers. We're servants, we're foot washers. This is just who we are. Now, what does it mean exactly to be a towel bearer in this day and age? Well, in John 13, the first thing we realize about being a towel bearer is that it doesn't matter to a towel bearer whom they're called to serve. Look at verse two. It says, the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Now think about the significance of this moment. Jesus is getting ready to be betrayed and crucified within the next 24 hours, and so he's sitting at a table with Judas, the guy who's going to betray him to death, and, and Jesus knows that. In fact, just go ahead and work your way around the table. If you're Jesus, just, just imagine, I mean, you've seen the, the famous painting, The Last Supper. Who else is there? You've got Peter, who within the next 24 hours will deny Jesus three times. I mean, Peter, James, and John, who when Jesus is in the garden in one of, this, in one of his most vulnerable moments, asking them, will you support me? Will you stay with me? Will you pray with me? And they, and they fall asleep. They abandon Jesus in that moment. And, and not just Peter, James, and John, just go all the way around the table. Every one of those disciples are, are gonna let Jesus down. They're gonna abandon him in the time that he needs them the most. And Jesus knows all of that. I mean, just imagine you're Jesus. What would you do in that moment? What would, what, what would you do if you knew you were with a, a room full of people who you knew were gonna hurt you and <laughs> you had God-like powers? I mean, I, I'll tell you what I wouldn't do. I don't think I would serve them. I might serve them up. <laughs> I wouldn't have dinner with them. I might have them for dinner, you know. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus knelt down and began to wash their feet. It's tough. It's tough to be a towel bearer when you feel like you're serving people who will take advantage of you. In fact, I've heard somebody say that you really know if you have the heart of a servant when people treat you like a servant. That's when you find out whether you're a servant or not. Because how do you serve a, um, a husband you feel isn't often thoughtful of your needs? Or how do you serve a wife who you feel rarely communicates how much she appreciates everything that you do for the family? Or, or how do you serve a child who moves so fast and doesn't slow down enough to, to throw their arms around your neck every once in a while and just say, thank you? How do you, how do you serve a coworker who talks behind your back? Or a neighbor who's always taking and never giving? 
How do, you, how do you serve a church member who acts superior to you? And how do you serve when you feel unappreciated and unnoticed by the people around you? You see, for most of us, what we tend to do is just neatly fold up the towel and put it in the drawer and say, fine, if that's the way you're gonna treat me, <laughs> I'm out. But we get a little clue into how Jesus is able to to do this when we read in John 13, three and four, it says that Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. He knew who he was, he knew who had sent him, and he knew that heaven was in his future. He had his, his, his future was settled. He didn't have to prove anything to anybody. And so, verse four, he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. Did you catch that? Jesus knew that God had sent him. Jesus knew he was from, from heaven. It, it was all settled for him. And that can be the same with us as well. If, if we are going to be towel bearers, then the, the key to that, and we're gonna be specifically towel bearers to people who maybe don't show us the kind of appreciation that we think they should. And the key to that is understanding that we are sent from God. We are God's children. That, that's our identity. That's settled. That heaven is in our future. That that's settled. Our purpose, our direction. We don't have to prove anything to anybody. And when we know where we come from and where we're headed, then it frees us up to be able to serve those the way Jesus served others. When we serve, we serve with God, on mission with him. Willow, let's not be <laughs> robe wearers. Let's be towel bearers for him. I volunteer because I was compelled by a scripture at the age of nine, Matthew 9, 37. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. My first experience with Willow was years ago. I was uh, extended an invitation to one of the Easter services. And then I basically started looking into the church a little bit furthermore and found the Willow Chicago campus. It was closer in my neighborhood. I love the urban vibe of it, and it basically fit me to a team. I currently volunteer in production at Lolo Chicago. I absolutely love volunteering. I call Jesus sort of the greatest volunteer of all time, freely giving of his life to die for the sins of the world. And who wouldn't want to, you know, give back to, to a God like that? The thing I really love most about Dwight, he recognizes why he serves, and that's because he serves God. He's serving an audience of one, and when he can do his task well, he knows it's a blessing for everybody. He is one of those volunteers that is focused, but he always manages to take time and greet somebody when they come by the production booth to say hello. Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all. He did all the heavy lifting for us. And all we have to do is get the message out there. And I would encourage all volunteers across Willow campuses, keep Christ at the focus of that and just believe that, you know, harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few is still relevant today. 
uh, there is a need for us to get in the field and do the work and get his name out there. I'm Dwight Turner and I'm a volunteer at Willow Chicago. You know, one of the things I, I think is true about these towel bearers is these towel bearers aren't really interested in the spotlight. They don't need recognition. They don't need to be known. At the core of who they are is just this desire to, to truly serve. And that was really always at the heart of Jesus. It was really from the very beginning. Now, we call Jesus now, we call him the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He was not only a robe wearer, he was a crown wearer. But he traded his crown for the towel. This crown wearer became this towel bearer. Dave already uh, shared with us what happened in John chapter 13. As the text continues, it says this, that Jesus got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, now anybody who is somewhat familiar with this passage or maybe familiar with what happened in the ancient world, what you know is Feet washing was a pretty common practice back in the ancient world, particularly in the area that, that Jesus was walking at the time that he was here on earth, uh, because there were no paved roads. Uh, it was dirt roads everywhere they went, and people walked around in sandals, and so just, uh, just by, by way of traveling, your feet often became the dirtiest part of your body. And so anytime you went to somebody's home, in order to not track in all that you just got upon you, there was often a servant in the household that would wash your feet. It would do one to, to serve the owner of the house, making sure we didn't dirty up the house, but it also served the guest. It was a way to honor the guest. But this act was oftentimes and most frequently performed by the servant of the household. Now, we don't really fully know why, but when Jesus goes in this upper room with the disciples that day, there was no servant at the door to wash anybody's feet. And so at that moment when there's no servant, it was really anybody and everybody's responsibility just to make sure that the feet got washed before they went in. There were 13 people in that room that day, including Jesus and his 12 disciples, any of which who could have performed this foot washing moment if they would have chosen to do so. But as Dave mentioned, the conversations that they had just had before they walked into this room is the conversation was, who's the greatest? Who's got the most power, the clout, position, the authority? Which one of us is the most special? They were all wanting to be crown wearers. Not recognizing that in the kingdom of God, from Jesus' perspective, the greatest is not those who are wearing the crown. The, Jesus, uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the most important are those who are willing to bear the towel. And so though the one who was most power, powerful, who had the most authority, he would have been the least likely person to do this act, it was Jesus, who got up from that meal, took a towel, and washed his disciples' feet. Something that anybody could have done, but it's the very thing that Jesus chose to do. It's what I love most about Jesus, again, that he could have operated out of his authority and power, but most often he operated out of humble sacrifice. May you and I follow his, follow his example. It, it kind of reminds me of a, of a story that I heard not too long ago. Uh, the story was of a, of a lady who had four children. She named her four children. Are you ready for this? Everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Great names for kids, if you ask me. Uh, these four children, despite being scarred by their names, they went on to start their own business together. 
Until one day, there was a really important job to be done and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. <laughs> now, obviously that's, not a, obviously, that's a fictitious story, right? Hopefully, nobody really names their kids those names. However, that scenario is one that we, that we find playing out over and over and over again, that it's almost what would have happened around that dinner table, that everybody's pointing fingers at somebody else, that somebody should have done it. But Jesus was the only one that took the initiative and embodied that heart of the servant to do what God had called him to do. And really, that's the heart of a true servant. It's the heart of really what we would talk about as the heart of, of a volunteer. It reminds us of what comes off the, the pen of the Apostle Paul. He says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, the body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though all the parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. If you were here with us last week, you heard, you heard Jody Hickerson talk a lot about this. Uh, in, in Scripture... Oftentimes, our physical body is used as a metaphor to describe Christ's body, meaning the church. And what's interesting about our own body, it's made up of a lot of different parts. The eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, the hands, the feet, and all of them are so unique. It's not as though that, that one function does all, uh, one part does all the functions. Instead, each plays its own role, but collectively, it becomes one body. And Paul says, in, a, in the very same way... Christ's body, the church, functions exactly the same way. We, we each have our own individual role. There's nothing that one person does that creates the whole function of the entire body. We're not asked to do everything, but we can't not do something. That God has hardwired into us specific gifts, abilities, talents, that when applied, there's a unique, valuable contribution that my life makes to the greater good. There's a role that I play a part of God's kingdom, which is much bigger than me. It's a really powerful reality to understand the role that you and I play. The, the reality of it is that the moment I step aside, I choose not to apply my God-given gifts, that I remain disconnected, the truth is the body of Christ misses out on your unique contribution. We are not as good as we would be without you being a part of what God is trying to create in and through this community. Uh, it, it, reminds me, um, it reminds me of this. When we talk about the servant and the volunteer, when, when we think about that, it's not just, we, we don't talk about this because we as a church need more, more volunteers. We talk about this because you and I need to volunteer. It's, it's just hardwired into us that if we're not able to exercise what God has put in us, there's something that we are missing out on. I, I heard a story not long ago about an aqueduct that was created in the ancient Roman Empire. 109 AD, there was an ancient aqueduct that was created uh, from uh, the mountain region down to a particular city in the country of what now is modern-day Spain. And for literally 1,800 years... This aqueduct delivered cold water from the mountains down to the hot city down below. 1,800 years. It wasn't just until a few decades ago that they decided to kind of retire the aqueduct. 
I mean, it was, a, it was a relic of the ancient world, and they thought that they would kind of give this aqueduct a, a rest and in many ways kind of memorialize it, like make a museum out of it. And so eventually the waters were shut off to the aqueduct and uh, pipes were installed to, to provide that same water from the mountain region down to Spain. But what happened very shortly, nobody could have expected. When there's no water running through the aqueduct, these, these bricks and these mortar begin to dry out in the hot sun. They begin to, to crack. They begin to deteriorate. They begin to buckle. It would no longer be able to function in the way that it used to function. In a sense, we could say this. What centuries and centuries of service could not undo, idleness disintegrated almost instantly. And I think there's something about that that we need to be aware of spiritually. Spiritually, when our lives are connected, when it's serving, there's something that happens that we're able to function in our God-giving function. It's life-giving to us. When we move into a place of idleness, it can be disintegrating even to our own souls. Paul writes these words. I love these words from the book of Ephesians. It says this. It says, for we are God's handiwork. There's another translation that says that you are God's workmanship. I like to say you're a piece of work. Turn to somebody near you and just say, you're a piece of work. I tell you, you are, you're just a piece of work. Here's what it says. It says that, that we are God's piece of work. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The truth is, we tend to fall apart when we're not being used in the way that we were wired to use. That God has hardwired you. He has given you a specific opportunity, action, gifts to be utilized to further his kingdom, when we're able to do that, that life of service is life-giving, it's fueling, it moves our lives forward when it goes idle. It sometimes can tear apart and unwire the things that God has created us to do. Let me get really practical about this one for us. You know, I think about over the last couple years and really all that's taken place in our world related to the pandemic, but I would say many times when it comes to the church world, not just here at Willow Creek, but really all across the church world, I would go as far to say that the pandemic was the great disconnector. It was the great disconnector in a lot of ways. Uh, for a season, we stopped meeting in person. Everybody went online. We got out of certain rhythms and, and certain patterns and practices that had once fueled our spiritual journeys. We got out of those practices when we kind of came back, when we were trying to be functional again. What happened is many people who were once very much a part of the mission had disengaged over that time and have not yet reconnected to the mission. Now, I'm not saying that to lay a guilt trip. I'm not saying that to, to lay a shame. But what I am saying is this. I've had a myriad of conversations over the past few months, and almost to a T, like over and over again, I hear people say, I just don't feel as connected as I once felt. Now, I know there's a lot of contributing factors for what could be behind that statement, but one of those contributing factors is this. When my life becomes disengaged from the mission of Jesus, there's an impact to my own soul. We don't talk about volunteers because that's what we need as a church. We talk about volunteers because that's what we need as a people. What God does in our life, in our soul, as we engage in his mission, is some of the greatest joys that we get to participate in. So here's the truth. Let me tell you why I volunteer, why, why I love being a part of God's work. I think, first of all, it's just flat out fun. For those of you who are volunteers, would you agree with me on that? 
It's just flat out fun. I was at junior high camp last night. I'm watching 40-year-old men walk around in, in like orange tutus, which is a little bit interesting. It's like the inner junior higher in us still comes out as 40-something-year-olds. But I watched the joy, the fun, the exuberance of our volunteers pouring into our junior high kids. It was, it was amazing. It was joy-filled. I think about the times that I've been able to serve alongside of the various teams in our care center. I love the care center. I love what we get to do there. But I think about it, I watch your faces light up as you get to serve the guests that are coming in for food or for clothing, those who are taking part in the clinic. I just watch your, your lives and your eyes light up in your opportunity that you have to serve in all of those different ways. Those are a couple of examples of the myriad examples. Part of the reason why we serve is it's just flat out fun. One of the other reasons why we serve is there's something about what happens in our life as we get to do it together. Uh, we don't have a single volunteer role around here that's in isolation. We like to serve together. Again, because if the pandemic was the great disconnector, I think volunteering on teams is the great connector. Again, it's not just about the contribution of what we get to do and making the impact in the lives of people. There's an impact in our own lives as we feel more connected to our God and also to each other as we get to serve together. It's flat out fun, but it's also something that builds community. But the last reason I volunteer is simply this. It was the example of Jesus. He wasn't just a crown wearer. He was a towel bearer. If you want to be more like the Jesus you serve, this becomes the life that you and I take up and take on. I would say that you're never more like Jesus than when you choose to give and to serve. It's just who he is. It's just how we always went about life. One of the things that Jesus said was this. These are words that came off of his own lips in the book of Mark. He says, for the Son of Man... And that's just a term that Jesus called himself. He said, for the Son of Man didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We volunteer because it's fun. It's the great connector. But it ultimately allows us to follow in the footsteps of the one that we ultimately serve in Jesus. Jesus. 